0: Right. Hey, repeat after me. In God's kingdom, in God's everybody's, kingdom somebody. everybody's somebody. You got that? Okay. So here we go together. In God's kingdom, everybody's somebody. Now we're going to change it up a bit. The first part we're going to say in God's kingdom. Say that. In God's kingdom. Now put, poke your chest like this and say, I am somebody. I am somebody. All right. So you ready to go again? In God's, in God's kingdom. God. I am somebody. On the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. God's kingdom, I am son. Amen, man. Did you? And that's what I want you to see today, as we go through these genealogies, man. We are in Matthew chapter one, and in small group we were able to go through both sections of Matthew chapter one. But I realize I just do not have time to go through that, and I know some of y'all have been praying for me to realize that. But uh, I just can't go through both sections. I want to, and I've just been praying and. And and that thought that God keeps bringing to me for somebody, for every one of you today, maybe for you to apply in your life or maybe you to share with somebody, is that in God's kingdom, I am somebody. Because we like to make a hierarchy, don't we? We like to think so often, whether you're talking about God's kingdom, you're talking about a church, or even out in the world, we like to put people in places, don't we? We like to say, oh, these people are lowly and these people are not. We like to kind of make different statuses, but in God's kingdom, I'm somebody and I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be in his kingdom. He gives everybody strengths and weaknesses. And in fact, if you happen to be in a position where you think you're all that, you're probably not. Okay. If you think you're all that, you're probably not unless your identity is that you're just a child of the king and he's got you where you're supposed to be. If you are blessed with riches, if you are blessed with something way better than what other people have, why did he give that to you? What's he got? What did he give it to you for? Can anybody tell me? Share. To share, exactly. Whatever you got that somebody else doesn't have, I don't care if it's an IQ to do math. <laughs> you can help me. Alright? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or English. How about that? <laughs> so far I've proven my English skills, really used them really well today, haven't I? But You know, what I'm saying is this. We've talked about this before, that we are all in the same boat, just different seats. And there's two boats. We talked about it before. One boat is headed to heaven and the other boat is headed to hell. There really are just two boats in life right now. And every one of us, when we are born, we are in that boat that is headed to hell because all we care about is ourselves. We don't care about we don't love God. If we have any kind of relationship with God at all, it's only because it's going to benefit us. It's not until we're born again. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the desire and ability to surrender all we know about ourselves to all we know about Christ. And then by his Holy Spirit, he puts us in that boat. And that's from the richest person. I'm talking about rich emotionally, rich Uh, rich physically, I'm talking about rich mentally, rich and poor, from the richest person to the poorest person, the Holy Spirit of God has the power to take you and take you from the boat that's headed to hell and put you in the boat that's headed to heaven. And in that boat, what happens now, as believers, now we already know there's a boat. If you're in that boat that's headed to hell because you have not been lifted by the Holy Spirit and you have surrendered to be lifted and put in the boat to heaven, I, I pray for you today is that you would surrender and say, dude, I don't want to be in that boat because that boat is one way. All you have to do is take the desire God's given you and say, man, I want to be in the boat to go to heaven. I trust that God can take me there. I trust that what Christ did on the cross pays for my sins. So predominantly, we're going to be talking about people who are in the boat going to heaven today. But in that boat of people going to heaven, we're all in that same boat And we're in different seats. And how many of you know that during your life you have switched seats a few times? (laughs) In that boat since you've been a believer, you've switched seats. It might have been economically. It might have been physically with health. It might have been mentally, you know, with ups and downs and things. It might have been with education. But, you know, we switch seats all the time. God changes our positions in life a lot. And he does that on purpose for us to glorify him. And in fact, what we may think is the front of the boat may actually be the back of the boat. And the back of the boat be the front. How many of you have ever been in the front of a boat? All right, the front of a boat. When is it awesome to be in the front of the boat? What's the benefits of being in the front of the boat? What's that? Help me out. <laughs> Yeah, you, oh, you get to see stuff, dude. You get to see stuff ahead of time, man. And you're just up there. I'm king of the world, you know. It's like you're looking in the front of the boat. It's awesome because there's nobody blocking you. I'm thinking back when we were in Nicaragua. Tom's not here today, but in Nicaragua, we rode everywhere in these 26-foot open boats. And they were water taxis. And up in the front of the boat, man, I'm like new, and I'm looking at this jungle we're going through, and I'm looking for stuff. Oh, my goodness, there's a baseball team on that dock getting ready to get picked up by the water taxi. And I'm just observing it. It was awesome to be in the front of the boat. But guess when it wasn't awesome to be in the front of the boat? When was it not? Yeah, dude, when it got stormy, because all I was now was blocking the waves from hitting people behind me. So there's advantages to being in the back of the boat. You don't get as wet, okay? And so what we've got to realize is that wherever God's put us in that boat, there's advantages to it. And there might be some disadvantages, but if you're digging the advantages, you don't worry about the disadvantages. You're going to miss the advantages if you're always looking at life from the perspective of disadvantages. And so you know what? There were times when I was in that boat where it was awesome being on the side because we'd have this 26-foot skiff that was open. And man, no lie, there were, what, one, two, three, four, five people, one, two, three, four, five, six, six. We had 30-plus people on this little 26-foot boat in there with a dude in the back. And so when was it a disadvantage to be in the middle, being squished? You're in the middle, and you got two people on either side of you and 15 ahead of you and 15 in back of you. What's the disadvantage of that? Well, you have to smell everybody that's there. You have to be your squished. If you got claustrophobia like me, you can't move, right? But when's it an advantage to be right in the middle of everything? Yeah, dude, when the waves are crashing over the side, you know, but I wanted to be over on the other side and I'm on the edge of the boat. And there was an advantage because I could breathe. I was like the dog hanging my head out the window, right, you know? But when the waves crash, there's a disadvantage. So what I'm saying is there's advantages and disadvantages to the place where God has you in the boat. But man, if you will just start digging the advantages, your disadvantages will go away. You won't even care. to be cool. You'll be on the edge of the boat being pounded and you'll be covered by water. And by the way, this was the coolest part. If you ever go back and look at our pictures from Nicaragua, you'll see where it looks like we're trying to suffocate each other in the boat. All right. Because what happened was, if you're on the side, they have a roll of bisqueen, and some of the guys had clear, but some of them had black bisqueen. I was wondering what that was for, and I'm over on the edge, and all of a sudden I feel tugging, and then I see, and they're taking the bisqueen and they're pulling it over. So it's like, how I many of y'all ever been to Space Mountain at Disney, right? Yeah. You can't see in the roll. It was just like that. We're under bisqueen. Thirty people under bisqueen right there, and that was my responsibility holding it down and going through there. What I'm saying is, that could have been a disadvantage, but dude, where else are you gonna cover yourself with Bisqueen and go through Jungle Cruise, man? I mean, it's awesome, so look for the advantage to the seat that God has you. But what we wanna do instead is like, oh, I'm more important, so I'm gonna be in the front of the boat. I'm more important, so we get our favorite places and all of that. But we're all in the same boat, different seats, and here's how it works. You see that ceiling right there? That ceiling right there is God, okay? All right, that's God. Now, I want you to look right here, okay? From my finger to the bottom of this floor, can you see that? From my finger to the bottom of this floor is all of us, all of us. Now, some of us think we're up here, and we're here, and, oh, those people, they're down here in the kingdom, and those people are here, but the bottom line is there is very, very little difference between the most righteous person, the most unrighteous person in the kingdom, because what is it that makes you righteous in the kingdom? It's Christ and what he did on the cross. And what happens as Natalie, what happens as the closer you get to God? How do you see yourself? The farther you are away from him. I know I've heard her say that in small group. That's why I picked on her there. But the closer you get to God, the farther you see you're away from him. And you realize that the only reason, the only reason that that he loves you, the only reason you're in this family, the only reason that you're in that boat is because of him. And your pride gets out of the way, but it's when you think you're all that, when you think that, oh, well, my lineage, I hope you know what family I'm from, I hope you know what neighborhood I live in, I hope you know what kind of car, I'm. I hope you knew, you know, not everybody can drive a General Lee Toyota. <laughs> in fact, I wonder how they feel about that in Georgia back during the Dukes of Hazzard days. <laughs> But I'm just messing with you. Not everybody can have that. How many of you ever heard EJ's horn on the way out? Yeah, man. I'm just saying, not everybody can have that kind of luxury, bro. But I'm messing with you. I don't even have a horn. so. But that was by God's design for me. He knew that a horn would not be a good thing for me to have in a vehicle. So he didn't give me one. We want to make distinctions all the time, but what I'm saying to you guys is God's up there and the rest of us are here. We all fit. There's not that big a difference of us in the kingdom. And that's what I want you to see in the genealogy. They'd follow me again in God's kingdom. Say that. In God's kingdom. I am somebody. I am somebody. I am somebody. Exactly. So maybe you're in a position right now where you're not feeling very good about your place in the kingdom. your social status but realize if you're a child of the king you're a child of the king dude and there are nothing better. i'd rather be a child of the king in the lowest position than not the child of the king in the highest position man and so when we look at this genealogy how many of you have ever read genealogies in the bible and skipped it i'm not god already knows your heart let me see your hand Yeah, you get there and you're like, oh, every word of God is true. Every word of God is beneficial. But why did you start the book of Matthew with blah, 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 blah? It's not like Charlie Brown's teacher when we're reading it, right? And then you get to the good part, right? I've even been in Bible studies with people in here. I'm not going to point any fingers at where we let's just skip this part in Genesis, dude. There's some genealogy because what's so hard about it? pronouncing everybody's names, right? How many of y'all like we get in Tina, we get into a uh, small group and it's like, oh, dude, I got this. I got the verse with all those names, right? <laughs> you know, we skip it thinking there's nothing important. But let me tell you something about God's word. Every bit of God's word is important. And if it isn't because hasn't become important to you yet, it's not God. It's you. And if you skip it, you're never going to figure out the importance of it. Man, get into it and look at it and let God speak to you through it. And I hope that's what he does with you today. So let's get started without any further ado, because in God's kingdom, what's true? I am somebody. And if your name was in there, you wouldn't want people skipping it, would you? Cornbread. (laughs) Cornbread, yeah, yeah. I went to a church when I was at a country church in my first pastorate, and I, I was... They wanted to argue about how to say Malachi and all those names. And, and this one little old lady said, Brother Eddie. <laughs> I got talking to my country West, Webster boys. I said, Brother Eddie, when you can't say a word, just the, pronounce the name, just say cornbread. <laughs> and that's what we do. So I'd be reading and saying, the genealogy of David, cornbread, we got cornbread, we got cornbread. But we're going to give it our best shot today, okay? And pronouncing it. But what I want you to see is I want you to see the story with these folks. And their story's not much different than yours because we're all in the same boat, just different seats. And in the kingdom of God, I am somebody. And so are they. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So why does he bring up David and Abraham right away? Why didn't he bring up Moses and Elijah? Why didn't he bring up somebody else? Because David is where Matthew's a Jew, writing to the Jews, trying to show them Jesus is king of the Jews. And so he brings up David because the most important thing to the Jews was the kingdom of God. And it's through David's life where God said, you guys are going to have a kingdom one day that is going to have no end and last forever. So he's saying right away, man, the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, he qualifies as a king because lineage wise he, he, he's, he's capable of being the son of David. He comes from David and he goes to the son of Abraham. Well, Abraham, he brings that up because Abraham was the one who was promised that as an old man and old lady with his wife, and I promise is the only time I'll say the word Viagra this week, because uh, <laughs> I said a lot last week. But in this, Abraham, 99, by the time he was 100, him and his wife were having a baby that they had been promised and they had waited for and waited for and waited for. And God said, one day you're going to have so many offspring. Your family's going to be so big that it's going to be more than the amount of sand on the sea, more or on the beaches, more than the amount of stars in the sky. You're going to have this huge family and I'm gonna be a, they're going to bless the whole world and all of this. And he didn't have anything. And so he brings it back and saying, yeah, this guy goes back to Abraham. And you're the one and Jesus is the one who's going to bless people. And it goes back to David. Verse 2, it says, and here we go into the begots, okay? And birth or however you want to say it. Abraham begat Isaac at 99 or 100 years old. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, why would God bring up Judah? I I mean, there were 12 brothers. One of them we know real well is Joseph. Why wouldn't you just say Joseph? Or one of the others is because Jesus came from the line of Judah. And plus, it was a shaky story. You think you've messed up. You're in God's boat, but you think you've messed up so much God can't use you. I want you to know, dude, I want you to see this lady right here. And I want you to see this story. So Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, okay? And uh, that's the Puerto Rican pronunciation. I'm not sure of the Hebrew, but Perez, all right? Judah begot, begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And then Perez begot so on uh, Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. But I want you to see as Judah. No, go back, Tom. Uh, Judah begot Perez. Okay, and I want you to see the story because in uh, Genesis you'll be reading, and all of a sudden around Genesis 37, you'll get into the story of Joseph. How many of y'all love the story of Joseph? Isn't that awesome? But did you ever notice you start with the story real strong and you get the background of the coat of many colors and Joseph saying, oh, I'm going to be a leader. I just got this dream from God and you're ready to read. And then the very next chapter, verse thir- chapter 38, what happens? God takes a little parentheses, a little break, and he goes in and he says this little story about Judah. And it's like, wait, I want to get to Joseph. And you can from 39 all the way to the end. But 38's an interesting story. How many of y'all read that story before? Dude, let me tell you, let me let me reiterate, give you the Eddie perspective on this story. Man, it's such a cool story. If you have not read Genesis 38, go home and read it today because here's what happens. Judah, one of the sons, he gets married. Yes. Awesome thing. He's married and he has two, three sons that what more could a Hebrew man want than three sons to carry on his name to help work, you know, and do everything. He's got a wife. He's got three sons, man. Life is good. And his oldest son now gets married. And, uh, and and so he's got two younger sons. And when this older son gets married, he wasn't living for God. And God kills him. That's simply what it says. God looks down and says, I am not pleased with that boy. And I'm sure because God's a just God, he gave plenty of warning. But God brought him into the world and God can take him out. And God did. Now, they had a law, they had a rule that so they could carry on a family name that if the first son dies and the next boy isn't married, then he's supposed to marry his sister-in-law and get her pregnant to carry it on. Well, the second son, so they go to do it because he wanted to be an obedient son to his dad, but he started thinking, he said, this offspring isn't even going to be my own offspring. So he goes and sleeps with her, but instead of, inseminating her he spills it all on the ground that's in the bible he basically gets rid of it and god says oh no you didn't (laughs) and and god kills him so now judah has one son left man one son left and he's a little boy or he ain't old enough to be married to this lady especially with her track record the little black widow i'm saying that's why they're viewing it right and so man here she is and and judah's like okay come live in my house as a widow and, and be in my house as a widow, and when my son gets old enough, I'll let you marry him, and we'll just continue the family name that way. Well, guess what? She's starting to grow. She's starting to, you know, he's starting to grow up and everything. She's starting to get older, and he's probably not interested in her, but she's interested because she married, the oldest one is supposed to have all the inheritance, and that's what she's got something due to her, and as a woman, that was her only right to anything in that culture. Well, guess what? He's not giving her, not giving her, not giving her. And her friends are like, hey, dude, this guy, he's, he, he's not going to be your husband. He's not going to be it. So here's what happened. They went out to shear sheep. <laughs> Judah, he's grieving his wife, got better, and he went out to shear sheep. Now, shearing sheep is a euphemism for partying, okay? That's what it meant to go out and party. So if you had a Christmas party and it's going good, like this afternoon, man, we're at Tom and Laura's house with our covered dish, and, man, we're chowing on fried chicken or whatever y'all brought, man. It's like, man, we're shearing some sheep, brother. (laughs) But that's what happened was, is they would go and shear their sheep and get money for the shearing of the sheep. And then they would all have money. So everybody who wanted to make money off people who had money would all come. So shearing sheep was a parting thing. So he goes to Bethlehem, he goes to go party and shear his sheep and he's with his buddy. And on the way in, he sees a prostitute. Now, little did he know but it was Tamar, his daughter-in-law, she got the idea from somewhere. I don't believe the idea was from God, but nevertheless, God used it for his glory, which aren't you glad God takes our screw-ups and uses it for his glory? How many of you all have a screw-up that God used for glory? Yes! <laughs> Amen! You don't have to point to the next person next to you. I'm just joking. You know, I'm just saying. He takes our screw-ups and he takes our mess-ups and he makes them into something awesome. Now, Tamar, she thought, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I've got a plan of my own. And she dresses up like a prostitute. And so there she is, and here comes Judah, and he's like, oh, my. And she had a veil on her face, so he obviously wasn't interested in what she looked like on her face. And he walks in, and he's like, oh, how much are you? And she's like, well, let's wheel and deal here. You read the story this afternoon. This is chick flick stuff, man. This is... Uh, You know, well, it could be other stuff too, but I'm just like, man, you're in there and and, and, and how much are you? And he says, oh dude, baby, I'll give you a brand new goat. (laughs) That's what he, he's like, you are so hot, I'm gonna give you a fresh goat. (laughs) And she's like, okay, awesome, where's the goat? He's like, oh, I don't have it yet, I don't have the goat with me. Well, I need some little collateral. How about you give me your staff you give me the sash that holds your little tunic thing on, because you ain't going to be needing that, buddy. And, and give me your ring, your signet ring, which is what he used, and they would melt wax and, and lay it in there to know. That was like his signature. Can you imagine, for a prostitute, giving your staff, your sash, and your signet ring? But sometimes um, other hormones and different things make us happy. How many of y'all have ever been emotional or hormonally driven that you made bad mistakes? and you didn't care, you just wanted what you wanted right now and you would sell your life for a bowl of bean soup, which is another story. You know what I'm saying? And that's what happened. Oh dude, I'll give, whatever, come on, let's get this going. And so he went in with this prostitute, did not know it was his daughter-in-law and he gets her pregnant. He didn't know that either. He didn't care, he was shearing sheep. And that's what happens to us sometimes, we're just out shearing sheep and we make bad mistakes. And so here it is, he gets her pregnant and didn't know it, had a good time, whatever. He's done with her and all of this. And the next day he wakes up and he's like, oh, sends his servant. Hey, go give that prostitute the goat, man, we promise. They go looking for the prostitute and they can't find her. And they're asking around, hey, where's the prostitute? Oh, we don't have a prostitute around here. What? There was one? Yet? And so he's just like, all right, whatever. We tried. Our name is not tarnished by this. We tried. So we'll just leave it here. If she ever shows up, she can have that goat. And he took off. Three months later, according to the story, Three months later, man, he's sitting there enjoying himself in his nice house and all of this, his big tent. And all of a sudden, they come in, and they come in, and they said to him, Your daughter, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant. She played the part of a harlot. And anybody remember how he answered? What did he say to do to her? Yeah, more specifically, he said, She should be burned. Literally, that's what he said. She's pregnant, and she should be burned and so i don't know what his thinking in all this was so he's getting ready to do the process and meanwhile tamar comes out and tamar says oh wait 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 Before y'all burn me (laughs) all right (laughs) before you burn me hang on the one who got me pregnant is the owner of this the staff this the sash and oh in case you're wondering who this is this important signet ring whose is this who could this be the owner of this and judah oh, under great conviction, said, oh, I have sinned. And do you know what you would expect from a godly man who would be the father of Christ in the lineage of Christ? Wouldn't you expect that he would say, oh, I have sinned, and I've been with a prostitute, and I shouldn't have done that? Wouldn't you expect that? But what does he say? Oh, I've sinned, and I never gave her my third son. I never gave her my third son. And really, there was no more to be said about it. She didn't get murdered or burned. But guess what happened from the thing they had as a prostitute and a, and, a, and a John in all of that? She has twins. She has twins in her. She has Perez and Hezron. And Hezron stuck his hand out of the womb. The, the nursemaid put something on and said, here's the firstborn because that's important. And he brought it back in. And then Perez popped out. Well, maybe popped out. (laughs) I doubt he shot out that way, man. (laughs) Maybe that way, but but not that way. That's, That's like Rocket Man. All right, so anyways. So he comes out. Perez comes out. He's the son of a prostitutional relationship. She just played the part. I mean, would you in your wildest dreams think the Messiah would come from that? Would God would do something glorious out of a union like that? Today it would be reason for an abortion. Today it would be reason, you know, to excuse it and get rid of it and say, "Man, don't need to have anything like that." Boy, that you know what, man, you are one of the sons of Jacob. You can't be like that. No, dude, God uses that. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care where you're going. Well, yes, there's consequences to sin, but God can use anything. I'm living proof. I'm not going to give you any more testimony. Most of you know who I am, where I've been, and know where I'm going, man. But, dude, if God can use me, he can use anybody. And if he can use this situation, can he not use yours? Oh, my goodness. There it is. And so Perez, that's the story. Go back and read it and check my accuracy on that. In, in, in Genesis chapter 38. what a great story. But that's the first woman that's in this that and women shouldn't even have been in a genealogy. They didn't care about women. Who would care that a woman's in a genealogy? What difference would that make? The difference is to us to show us what God's grace is all about. that God can use anybody because help me out on the count of three, in the kingdom of God. I'm somebody. So regardless of what you've been through, where you're at, what's going on, man, you walk. If you're in that boat that's headed to heaven, where's that boat going to go? Yeah. Is anybody changing the course of that boat? Is anybody ever going to pluck you out of that boat? No. So where are you going? Yeah, you're a child of the king, man. And no matter how much you've messed up, and maybe you're on the verge of falling out of that boat. You're not falling out because Jesus got you on a atomic wedgie, man. He's holding on the back of your pants, yanking you back in. You're not going anywhere. You're in his boat forever. And you have the right to be wherever God wants you to be in that boat, man. So let's look at the next one. Look at this. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. That'd be a cool name for a kid. Next kid, Ram. Ram Lane. (laughs) All right. So Ram Lane. All right. And Ram begot Aminadab. Where do they come up with these names? Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salomon. Why can't he just be salmon? All right? Salomon. Oh, look at here. Salomon begot Boaz by, what's her name? Dude, Rahab wasn't pretending to be a prostitute. What was she? She was a prostitute. Check this out, how this works. You're like thinking, oh, well, all right, God could use, she only pretended, he forgave her sin, and it's okay. She was a lifelong prostitute till she met Christ, all right? And once you meet Christ, things change for some faster than others, but he renews your heart, gives you new desires. He changes things in your life. And so in this, it says that we're talking about Rahab. If you go this afternoon and read Joshua chapter 2. What you'll find out in Joshua chapter two. What was the first first uh, first chapter I told you to read? It's Genesis 38. 38. Next one is, Joshua. yeah, dude, read this story. Joshua two. Caleb, he's one of the faithful spies, faithful Israelites that is going into the promised land. Man, he didn't have the grasshopper complex, you know, saying, oh, they're like we're like little grasshoppers. God can't, you know, give us the land, dude. He said, God's for us. Who can be against us? And so he's planning a battle plan, and he sends two spies to um, Jericho. He, this big city, fortified. People lived on the walls. That's where she lived. And so he sends two spies out. And while these two spies are scoping out Jericho, man, everybody knows, Somebody found out they're in there, and everybody's terrified of Israel because they're like, dude, you did that to Egypt. Your God did that to Egypt. Your God split the sea. Your God did all these things. This is crazy we terrified. That's the way they all felt. So when they found out that two of the Israelite spies were there, they were like, oh, my goodness. And everybody's making their plans. And the army's now looking for these two spies. These two spies are trying to get out. And they go, and somehow, by God's sovereignty and providence, they run into this prostitute named Rahab. And she happens to live on the wall. She has a place right by the gate. And so they come in and by God's sovereignty and providence and by the Holy Spirit of God, the same way you got the desire to become a believer, she had the desire from God to rescue these guys. And she said, quick, quick, get in here, get in here, you guys, they're looking for you, they wanna kill you. And the whole world's scared of you guys, period. So get in here. And they hid, that where did, where did she hide them at, remember? On the roof, under a bunch of barley or a bunch of hay, basically that they had done. Get under here. Get under the hay. And she stacked them all up. The officers that came to the door said, where are these two guys? Where are they? We know they're here. And she lied. I ain't saying it's right. I ain't saying it's wrong. I don't know. I'm going to check this one out when I get to heaven, all right? But uh, And I'm glad God forgives sins. But here's the thing. She lied. She said, oh, they must, they laugh. If you hurry up, you'll catch them. Go, go run after them and you'll catch them. And so they all took off. And she's like, all right, guys. In a day, you guys go over the mountain, wait three days, you'll be safe, and go. But I know your God is awesome. How did she know their God was awesome? Because God's awesome. (laughs) That's how she knew. She knew their God was awesome because she had heard of all the awesome things God had done. It's Like, man, he parted the sea. Dude, if he can kick Egypt's butt, he can kick Jericho's. I'm sorry, but... And do you understand why God wants us to be poster children? Do you understand why he wants supernatural things to happen in our life? So other people can hear about Robert and say, you're God's awesome. Tom, you're God's awesome. God. That's why God wants to do things in our life. So people can look at us and say, "Your are God's awesome. Not so he can say you're awesome, but he can say, God, you're God's awesome. So here she was. She's like, I only hid you. I risked my life because we know something's going to happen here. And I want to be on the winning team. Cowboys may be winning right now, but it ain't the Super Bowl yet. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I'm messing with, I'm not going to make fun of any football teams because I know there's some diehard fans in here. Yeah, look, he's got a Cleveland Brown. Yeah. I, and that's diehard because, oh, horrible. That's, that's like my dad was a Detroit Lions fan his whole entire life. That's a faithful fan. That's, a faith. That's faithful, yeah. Browns at least have won a few games, but not this year. But, <laughs> but look at the draft pick you're going to get. No, I'm just, let's get back on. real me in. All right, so anyways, in this, she says, I want to be on the winning team. I want to be on your team. I want to be on the winning team. What do I have to do? Please have mercy on us. I believe your God is the God of all gods, and I want to be on it. And so here's what the two spies, they said they looked over, and they saw a different color rope. Maybe the rope they got lit down on because she did eventually lit them down on the outside of the wall. They climbed down a rope and they escaped, but regardless, they, she looked up. and She said, Oh, Hey, this, he said, this scarlet rope, when we come to attack, hang this scarlet rope out here and you and your whole family, whoever you have in the room where this scarlet rope is, will spare you guys. Even me, I'm a prostitute. <laughs> really? Even me, I'm not a religious person. Even me, I have nothing to offer you. I don't have any money. I don't have a good job. I don't have. I, I, dude, what I have to offer isn't legal in your economy. It's like, man, me? You would take me? Yeah. Hang the rope out and we'll save you because of the kindness you showed us. And guess what, man? When they took Jericho, what happened? It was destroyed. And it was destroyed. Read that story by marching around and like crashing things and blowing. They didn't even touch it, man. God crumbled it. And they went in and killed people except those right there that were rescued by Rahab. So now Rahab, check this out. She was a prostitute. But I told you when you give your life to Christ, your heart changes, your desires change, things change, maybe not as fast as you would like, but they're going to change. And you know what ended up happening to Rahab? She got married to an Israelite. And they now have Jericho and all this. She got married to an Israelite. And now God knew that for the next step, they were going to need some resources. They were going to need something. So look what happens in verse 5. It says, And Salmon, who was Rahab's husband, begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, okay, so this guy named Boaz. What book of the Bible do we see this dude Boaz in? Anybody help me out? Ruth. Ruth. How many of y'all have read the book of Ruth? That is, if you have not read it and you're a girl and you're into chick flick, that is the ultimate chick flick. Esther and, well, Esther maybe not. You'll get mad now. But Ruth, dude, it's there. And so look what happened. They have a kid. Rahab has a kid named Boaz, okay? And Boaz ends up being King David's grandfather, in all of this but she has a kid one generation out of sin she has this kid named boaz and you know what you read when you get into the book of ruth is that he was the wealthiest man in bethlehem in that whole area he was filthy rich because god knew that he was going to need to be to be able to do what god was calling him to do so you know what there's good news how many of y'all think you need to be filthy rich don't raise your hand if you think you need that can god do it what if you don't need to be filthy rich? Man, what a distraction that could be. How many of you can say, dude, I am not filthy rich, and I am so glad I don't have that distraction? Yeah, it is. But if God's given it to you, you got responsibility because it ain't yours, it's his. And you got to use it the way he showed you to use it. So in this, check this out. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. Okay, so in this... Rahab gets married, has this guy named Boaz. And now do you guys know the story of Boaz and Ruth? What time is it? Boaz and Ruth, man. How many of y'all know that story? How many of y'all don't know the story, man? Anybody don't know that? Dude, check this out. You've got to read the story of Ruth because here's what happens. There was a lady named Naomi who was an Israelite in Bethlehem. And uh, her and her husband, it was during a famine. And I think his name might have been Amenadab or something like that. Don't hold me to that. But, but Naomi, she had two sons, and they take off, and they go to Moab, okay? And God said, don't go to Moab. Moab is bad news. Moab is where people are going to mislead you. You're going to get involved with stuff you don't need to get involved with. Don't go to Moab. But they went to Moab because they thought there would be some food. They thought there would be jobs there. They thought all of that. And there was. Man employed, they got two sons, they're doing good, and their two sons married Moabite women. Dude, if you got a son, anybody here have a son, tell them not to marry a Moabite woman, okay? Don't marry a Moabite woman, man. Don't do it. It's not good, all right? That's what God said, but guess what these guys did? They married a Moabite woman. And sure enough, here they are, and all of a sudden, Naomi's husband dies. And then all of a sudden, Naomi's two sons, which is one of them, was Ruth's husband, dies. So here now you got three women in a men's society that was not a good society. And the only thing women could be really were beggars or prostitutes in that society. And so here they are. Naomi's like freaking out as the mother-in-law. She's got two young girls there. And she's like, guys, God, you know what? My sons are dead. You go make your own way. I'm going to make my way back to my people in Bethlehem. They wouldn't accept you. And let me just go back. And I'll see you guys later. Thanks a lot. But one of the daughters followed. Which one? What was her name? Ruth. Ruth, Ruth said no. And what was the famous line? Who knows the famous line? Yeah, Ellie, go if you ahead.: go start, we'll go. Your God will be not Yeah, wherever you go, I'm going to go, but they're not going to like you there. I don't care. I'm going where you want where you're going to go. I want to be with you. Where'd she get such a crazy desire? Yeah. Because God had plans for this woman. Man, God, she was gonna be David's, King David's grandma, a Moabite woman, if you were God, would you in your wildest dreams pick a Moabite woman to be David's grandma? No, (laughs) that's why you're not God, neither am I. And so in this, so here it is, man, She, she, uh, she goes back, Ruth goes back and says, hey, wherever you go, I'm going, your people will be my people, even if I have to be a servant, your God will be my God. That's the key. You know how you get it from this boat going to hell to this boat going to heaven? Is by saying your God will be my God, surrendering. Because once you're, how, hey, can you put your feet in both boats? What happens? <laughs> I don't care how big a split you can do. You're one day you're gonna have to choose. They're going two different directions, man. And so it's a commitment thing. You get in that boat forever, and she did. She left everything that she could carnally do and had connections to in Moab and went with Ruth or went with Naomi thinking that, man, life's not going to. I don't know what life has, but I know I have a desire to follow your God and follow you and be part of your people. I'll take whatever seat they give me in that boat and I'll be there. And so here she comes. What happens when Ruth first gets there? They didn't have jobs, right? And so what they did is the fields where they would... uh, you know, uh, do harvest crops, they weren't really allowed to harvest the outside of the crop. And what they would do is they would let foreigners and people who didn't have jobs be able to come and be able to harvest the barley and the grain and whatever. And that way, nobody starved. Everybody had something to eat. You know, it'd be like all the stores giving all their excess to people who don't have jobs you know and letting them come in and having it out the back having a sub store and saying hey come on and here's for you and that's the way they had it set up in their culture so she starts by doing that man how humble from being a rich moabite woman to now being a beggar how, boy her seat sure changed in that boat didn't it and here she is but is she going you know what she did she did the best she could with what she had where she was at and in fact she did it so good that this dude, Boaz, and Boaz was old, by the way. He was old and rich. Anybody here want an old rich man? No, don't break your head. I'm joking. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> Emily? What? I'm just joking. All right, good. Otherwise, we need to talk, girl. Uh, I just saw Ashley look at you, and I'm like, hmm, there's something I need to know. No, I'm just joking. She's a good girl. Don't marry no more about guy. <laughs> no, but, but anyways... So she was doing such a good job at this. Man, she looks so attractive. This old dude Boaz is like, hmm, who is that on the outside of my, my field? Now, what if she would have been like, oh, my life stinks, It's horrible. Oh, I need this great. Would she have been attractive at all? Are you attractive when you're whining? Hey, is Adam attractive when he's whining? Yes. No, oh, he looked like <laughs> <laughs> <was your> <laughs> All right. No, you're the only one. <laughs> all right. You have that little like model. He's a model, by the way. You got that little pout look. Yeah. All right, very good. But most people aren't attractive when they're whining, unless you're Adam. All right, so. But do the best you can with what you got, where you're at, man. And so that's what she was doing, gleaning, doing all this. And Boaz spotted her, and Boaz then said, "Hey guys, you know what? Just let her take whatever she wants. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, let her take what. And and by the way." Make the outside of that crop just a little bit bigger. Don't harvest as much so she's got more. And he really, he fell in love with her as a person at that point because he really didn't know what's going on. And then guess what? He's like, hey, who is this? And they're like, oh, well, she happens to be part of your kin. And she's not married here. Her her husband died. And Naomi had to sell the the property in Bethlehem. And and somebody's got to, like, redeem her. And whoever redeems her gets this land. So he said, oh, but I'm not the first in line. So he goes and has a meeting with the guy who's in first in line. And he says, hey, dude, you know, Naomi, he's brought back this Moabite woman. And they're pretty awesome. But there's a big chunk of property that needs to go back to the family. And you're the first one in line. Do you want it? Of course I want that big old piece of land. Yeah, man, I want that land. It's for my business. And he says, yeah, but if you do it, you've got to marry this other girl. And now for them to have more than one wife wasn't that big of a deal for them, actually. But what that meant is that any children he had with her, he was going to have to split with his own family. He said, I don't really want to mess that inheritance. That's too messy. If you want her, take her and you can get the land, too. So guess what happens? Boaz, What do you think he was like inside? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was kind of like, "Oh dude, hey you're, you know I got this really great deal and you want to buy it you know And then when she said, no, yes, I get to marry her." And so he did. He married her. and they became the grandparents of King David. If you were God, would you have scripted it that way? No. Man, look how messed up God's lineage is. Next time you start feeling sorry for yourself, thinking your life is messed up. Thinking it's not perfect like all those people in the Bible who are on a pedestal. Man, that's the most beautiful thing that we're finding out in small group as we're reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Is we think those guys like Moses were perfect. They're not. They're just like us. But they're in the right boat. And every time they find themselves moving in a bad position, they start appreciating the position they're in. And they watch how God moves that position around and uses them in a mighty way. And so in this, look at this, we've only got a little bit left here, but I'm, we're on, we've covered three of these people, right? Who was the first one we covered? you remember her name? Out of Genesis 38? Tamar. And then who was the second one out of Joshua 2? Rahab. Rahab. And then out of the book of Ruth, what was the third woman's name? Rahab. Everybody's got this one, right? Ben, who was the third woman out of the book of Ruth? Ruth? Ruth. Yes, we got it. All right. So Ruth in all of this, but now we get to one that's not named, but she's implied in all of this. So, Obebby got Jesse. Hey, who was, the, who was Jesse's son? David. David. And he had a bunch of other sons, too. In fact, this is kind of cool. I'm not going to go into this a lot. But do you remember when God told Samuel to go and to Jesse's house and pick out the next king? And, they, and and little pipsqueak, David's out in the field back there, and he brings all his stud sons, man, the good-looking ones. And, Jesse, and Samuel's like it ain't him it ain't him are you sure you don't have any more kids and he said yeah I got this one pipsqueak out there tending sheep but he ain't good for nothing and he looks and said that's him you see by man's standard how God always picks the underdogs but was David really the underdog if God's picked you are you the underdog no so quit letting the world tell you you're the underdog world always wants to say this man Put your, put put this up on your head right here they want to say and look at the other person and say "Yeah, yeah they, they want to say you're a loser right But, dude, you are not a loser. Put this up. Go look at the next person and say, I'm a wiener. (laughs) A winner. (laughs) I'm a winner. You are, by God's sake. If you're in his boat, he's handpicked you for something. And though he may switch your seat around, don't miss what he's got you in right now. So in this, look what happens. And Jesse begot David the king. Man, Israel's history would have been pretty cool if it ended there. But look what happens. David... The king begot Solomon. He had a lot of other kids, but he got begot Solomon. Now, he had other kids legitimately, but what we got to get to is the story of how he begot Solomon, which just ain't your normal kosher way of begotten somebody. <laughs> all right? David begot Solomon, look at this, by her. He didn't even, they don't even name her name in the Bible right here. By her who had been the wife of Uriah. Wow. How many of you all know this story? Anybody don't know this story? You're fixing to. All right, good. All right, I'll, I'll just preach to you guys, man. But but listen, man, this is the cool part of this story. It's David had kid. I mean, he had he he had a kingdom. He was like man winning battles. This was the apex of Israel's history. You know, this was like one of their highest points in history. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So here, so you can read this again for those of you not taking notes. Where was the first story out of? Genesis Genesis 38. The second story? Joshua Joshua chapter 2. The third story? The book of Ruth. The fourth story is 2 Samuel chapter 11. Read this one, man, because here's what it says. It says that... That David, at a time when kings were going to battle, okay, at a time when kings went to battle. So David's king. Where should he have been? At battle, man. But instead, uh, being out to battle at a time when kings went to battle, David was taking a little break. He got up from his hammock and... He crawled up on the roof. It was in the middle of the night, by the way. And I'm just gonna tell you, nothing good happens after midnight, man. Don't go out after mid- It just it's all downhill. He got up, man, and he's like stretching, he's looking around all of a sudden, boy. He sees a naked lady in the window bathing. Alright, I'm what are most guys gonna do? What is almost every guy gonna do except me? No, I'm just, no, I'm just I'm joking. <laughs> What he sees a naked lady and she's a gorgeous woman. We find out later because of who she's married to and she's prominent. He looks and she's bathing and he looks and probably was like, oh, no. But guess what? It, it, with any temptation, the key is not turning away. The key is not turning back <laughs> with any addiction. The key is not quitting. Once things get bad, you can quit anything. The key is not going back. The key is not starting. So David's like, oh, I shouldn't have saw that. (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't have done that. All right, I already did it. I might as well just do it. (laughs) Isn't that the way temptation works for us sometimes? You justify and find you're like, oh, I'm just so guilty. I just got to go for it. And guess what David did, man? He said, oh, who is that? Well, Uriah the Hittite, one of your 30 mighty men, it's his beautiful wife. He's like, dude, go get her. Yeah, he went from, oh, I shouldn't have done that, to, to, yeah, go get her. And he brought her over to his house, and he slept with her. And he was probably hoping that that was all that was going to happen, but guess what happened? She got pregnant. She got pregnant, and so now he's like, oh, boy, what am I going to do here? I got an idea. Uriah's out in battle And he's fighting, and boy, I bet Uriah would love to be with his wife more than anything. So he says, Go get Uriah and bring him home. So he brings Uriah home and he feeds him and says, Man, now go home and take us a night off R and R with your wife, and then come back and I'm gonna send you back out to battle. You've been doing so awesome. But Uriah eats with him, and then what does Uriah do? He He slept on the doorstep of the palace. And so David all night saying, Oh, I'm good. He, I mean, he's got to think this was before Jerry Springer and Montel and DNA tests and all that, you know, and uh, what Steve Wilkos, I guess. Yeah, before they had the DNA test and the DNA reveals who the real daddy is, you know, but in all that. So he's like, oh, yeah, man, he's, he's going to think it's him. But he wakes up and he goes out and he's like, dude, what are you doing on my doorstep? And oh, think of the knife to David's heart, because he was at home when King should be out of battle. And Uriah said, oh, David, Israel. Israel and you, the kingdom, and my brothers who are out there fighting and sleeping out in the fields and and staying up all night watching. He said, man, how in the world could I justify in my heart? How could anyone who loves Israel stay home and enjoy their wife at a time like this? And boy, David's heart was like, (sighs) you know. And so David's like, oh, dude, that didn't work. All right, I got a better plan. So he said, all right, well, I'm gonna send you back tomorrow, but tonight come over again. The guy comes over, and he not only fed him, but he got him drunk. <laughs> because alcohol gives you courage to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do. <laughs> alcohol gives you, the, gives you the ability to do things you don't have to remember that you've done. And alcohol can can do all of that in you. And I know because I come from a family where we don't do it in moderation. We abused it. And until I gave my life to Christ, um, man, I didn't know when the next drink was that I would have done anything. And that's why for me personally, I've done so much to tick the devil off, I don't ever want to be in another state of consciousness. And so, you know what? Bible doesn't say anything about not about you can't drink. What it says is you can't get drunk. And for me, I don't know when that next drink is. So David says, I'm gonna get this guy drunk. So he does, he gets him drunk. And but the guy has so much integrity even when he's drunk. (laughs) That wasn't me, bro. I could do anything, man, when I was drunk. But this guy had so much integrity that he did the same thing. He wouldn't go sleep with his wife. So Dave was like, dude, she's going to be showing here pretty soon. (laughs) I got to like do something. So he says, get Uriah to the heat of the battle. Get Uriah to the heat of the battle. And, you know, normally you stay away from the wall where people can drop stuff on you and where they can shoot you with arrows and all that. He said, take him all the way up to the front. Blow the whistle to charge and everybody go the opposite direction. And sure enough, They did that. And Uriah, and not only Uriah, but other Israelites died. David has now become a murderer. If you were putting together the genealogy of the king of kings and lord of lords, would you use a murderer? Man, David's a murderer now. He went from not being where he was supposed to be, sins of omission, not being where you're supposed to be, lead to sins of commission, doing what you shouldn't be doing. And he went from not being where he's supposed to be doing to being a deceiver and a liar and a schemer and a planner to an adulterer to now being a murderer. And so here it is. He murders Uriah the Hittite. And he's dead. He's like, oh, dead man can't talk. Dead man can't talk, right? Dead man can't talk. But guess what? God can tell dead men or tell other people what to say. So he sends Nathan the prophet. Everybody know about Nathan? How would you like to get the job to go tell the king that he's an adulterous, lying murderer. (laughs) I wouldn't want that job. But Nathan was obedient. And Nathan tells a story. How many of y'all have never heard this story? This is a cool story. Real quick, we're we're almost done. (laughs) And Nathan comes up. And Nathan comes to the king, Adam. And he says, king, he said, there was this man who who had one little sheep that he loved." Oh, my goodness, this sheep, man, he bought him Christmas presents, took it to McDonald's, got him Happy Meals. Man, he loved this sheep. He even, like, let this sheep sleep sleep in his bed and sit in his chair. Read some of that's true. But this dude had one sheep, and he loved that sheep more than anything in the world. And this other rich dude next to him had thousands of sheep. And the rich dude had some people come over his house, and, and he wanted to feed them. And instead of taking one of his sheep, he killed that man's one sheep. David, what should be done? What do you think David said? Oh, David was irate. Yeah, he said, kill him. Oh, my goodness. How could he take that man's one favorite sheep? I mean, dude, he took it to McDonald's and everything. How could he kill that one sheep? And he had so many. And then Nathan said, David, that's you, bro. You took Uriah's one wife as he's out to battle with you. You scumbag. And you could add any other woman in the kingdom, and you did that. And there's consequences to all of that. And it ends up that Uriah is dead, but now David's, pre- David's concubine now. He marries her. She's pregnant. And she's pregnant with a son. Anybody know who's, what that son's name was? Nope. <laughs> we don't know what this son's name is because what happens in that second Kings chapter 11 is that baby dies. And so I'm just going to tell you this because this is where we get the theology. Anybody ever heard the fact that, that babies who die go to heaven? Okay. I, I personally believe that. I believe that there's an age of accountability, a time when people now can understand the difference between right and wrong and consequences, and it's at that time they need to say they realize they need a savior, and God, being a just God, is going to let them get to that time period. Well, where we get that theology comes from here, because the whole time Bathsheba's pregnant, um, or the whole time she has that baby, the baby's sick, the baby's sick unto death, and David's praying, he's fasting. He's, he's, he's irate. He's crazy. And, and the baby is sick and, and his servants are like, what are we going to do when this baby dies? Cause it's going to die. And all of a sudden the baby dies and Dave, they're like, and all of a sudden David washes up, cleans up and he's normal. And they're like, dude, this is crazy. He said, what, what, when your baby was sick, you were, you were acting like a lunatic. Why are you okay now? And David says these famous words at the end of second Kings chapter 11, he said this, he said, I cannot go where that, or I, I, he said, I can't bring that baby back to me. Baby's dead and gone. I can't bring the baby back to me. But he said, I will go one day and be where that baby's at. And where is David right now? He's in heaven. So based on that scripture, we believe that at the very minimum, babies are in heaven. Because they couldn't make that choice and God's a just God. And and I agree with that 100% in scripture. And that's a cool thing. Because conception starts at conception, (laughs) you know. And there's gonna be thousands of babies. Any of you have had a miscarriage, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm not a woman, I can't fully understand that. But man, think of the family reunion there's gonna be in heaven one day. (coughs) Man, and even if you messed up, there's gonna be reunions. There's gonna be reunions like you can't believe, and it's gonna be awesome. So in this story, he's now married and he gets Bathsheba pregnant again. And who does Bathsheba now have? Solomon. Dude, is that the way? So far, does this sound the way you think the Savior should come? The perfect king of kings and the king? You think Queen Elizabeth came about this way? <laughs> I mean, they get to us qualified for junk. That's why, well, that we know about. <laughs> but in this, man, it's like, do you understand God's grace? And let's move on, and we're almost done with this. David, the king, begot Solomon uh, by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Next verse, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat began Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot, Achu. I got you, that was a new pronunciation on that one, Hezekiah, God bless you by the way, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah, and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon, next one, And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abuid, Abuid, I don't know about that one, begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Acham, Acham begot Eluid, I'm not sure about that one either. Eluid begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathen, and Mathen begot uh, Jacob, next one, and Jacob, now check this out, begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary. You notice of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. What do you see missing in this little verse? How about the word begot? (laughs) It doesn't say, and Joseph begot Jesus. Why didn't it say Joseph begot Jesus? Because Joseph didn't begot Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit who begot Jesus through Mary. And we talked last week of how there had to be a virgin birth. If Jesus was born of a man and a woman, he would have inherited sin nature and he would have died to pay for his own sins. He couldn't have paid for ours. And by the same token, he could not have raised himself from the dead and done what he did unless he was God. He could not redeem us unless he's God. If there's no virgin birth, then there is, then Jesus is not God. If Jesus is not God, there is no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we have no hope. And what we're doing here is worthless. Go party and live it up and don't worry about eternity because there is none without a resurrection. But I don't know about you, but I believe in a resurrection. And I believe Jesus was God. And I believe that he was born of a virgin because this is what God's given me the ability to believe in here. So look at this and we're going to end on this part. Because here's three phases of Israel's life, Israel's history. And these are three phases of where we're at. In verse 17... So it goes on and says, so the generations from Abraham to David are 14, from David until captivity in Babylon are 14, and from captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14. So I want you to notice, what number do you see off uh, in here? 14. In Hebrew, there are no numbers. And so what they did was each letter kind of had a number attributed to it, 0 through 9 or whatever. And if they wanted, they would put things together to add up and so the number 14 happens to be dvd okay not because they didn't have vhs it was dvd because what did dvd stand for david they didn't have vowels either in the hebrew language. in the hebrew language so dvd was how you spell david and when you add that up it's 14. so when he sees the 14 now there were more than 14 in all these that's what they included But they wanted the Jews to see David, DVD, DVD. But more important, what I want you to see are these three phases. Look at the first one from Abraham to David. Abraham, when he promised that they were going to be a nation and they were going to bless the world through a Messiah from David, Abraham to David. What was that like? Was that good, bad or indifferent in their life? It was a good time. Man, it was a good time. They're looking for promise. I'm not saying there weren't bad times, but overall, they looked at that time from David, Abraham to David. It was like you growing in the Lord. How many of you have had those times where you're just walking and you're growing and you're hearing from God and yes, yes. And I'm not saying there aren't some setbacks, but how many of you experienced that time, that good time? And you think it's going to last forever. And if you're right with God, it's going to last forever because if you ever aren't that way, you're put back in the other boat. You're not. In this boat, you're going to have all three of these, okay? But that good time, you can make that honeymoon with him last forever. He ain't going nowhere, it's you. You stay following him, listening to him, in contact with him, walking with him as best you can, having a heart for him. David, believe it or not, was called a man after God's own heart, and what a scumbag, murderer, liar, adulterer, thief he was. But he was called that because every time he was convicted, He realized it and he would repent and he would start returning back to God so he could have that refreshing. By the way, you want another thing to read this afternoon? Go read Psalm 51 because that psalm is David's repentance prayer back to God after he got Bathsheba pregnant and killed her husband and all of that. You want to know how to get right with God again after you screwed up? Man, read that and you see David's heart and he had a heart after God. But that time, man, from Abraham to David was that was beautiful time. Perfect time. Everything was cool, man. They were growing with the relationship with the Lord. But look at this next one from David to captivity in Babylon. Yes, it was good with Solomon. He had the temple. But after Solomon, what happened was they were now Israel was in that position like, okay, God, now that you give us the land, I got it. Okay, God, I got it now. I got it. Okay, God, yeah, I remember what you said. Stay away from Moabite women, but I got it. (laughs) Oh, I remember what you said, God. God, Yep, you got us to this point, and we're already here, God. We know it. I got it. I got it. I got it. it. Anybody ever been in an I got it situation? You got it, and you know you're blowing off some of the things that got you in that relationship with God. And, And now you're like, I got it. I got it. I got it. But what happens when you got it? And you're now making exceptions to what you felt so strongly about. Bottom line, we live in a cause and effect world. God says you do it my way. It works. You don't. It doesn't. And there's going to be consequences. But in that I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm not going to get too far. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm got i coming back. I got it. I got it. But then guess what happens? Sometimes we go so far and it is, and we don't see us hitting that way. All of a sudden we end up because sin takes us so much farther than we ever intended to be. We end up in this third phase. Look at the third phase from the captivity of Babylon until... The Christ what was happening in Israel's history for that 400 400 plus years from the captivity until were they hearing from God at all it was silent they weren't hearing anything how many of y'all as believers have gone through a phase a long phase where you know God brought you you got it you got it you got far enough away from him where he just let you go through a period of silence and I ain't saying it has to take years sometimes this happens in a day <laughs> and you can get right back. But how many of y'all ever had that silence period? Yeah. He put this in here for us to see this. Does he intend for us to stay in this silent period? Is there anything you can do to be kicked out of this boat? No. But is it any fun being in the boat, not being able to hear the captain, not wondering what's going on? That's what I hate about the bisqueen in Nicaragua. I'm under that bisqueen. I didn't know what's going on. <laughs> and, and I'm going crazy. I want to see what's going on. I want to hear what's going on. I want to I experience it and enjoy it. But when you're in that period of time where you're not hearing, you don't know, it's like being shut up in your house with hurricane shutters. You don't know what's going on. And so you start imagining things, don't you? And you start making mistakes when you imagine. So I want you to think about where you're at right now. Are you in that phase from David to Abraham or are you in that phase from David until captivity or are you in that phase from captivity to Christ? because that phase from captivity notice where it ends up it ends up where at christ and if you're in that phase that's where he wants you to be it's just that when you're over here it's a shorter distance to go back this way so who needs a savior everyone if you're in that first phase do you need a savior yeah because that's why you're in that first phase if you're in that second phase even though you think you got it you need a savior And if you're in that third phase and you think God's given up on you, do you need a Savior? Yeah. So I want you to see where you're at this Christmas, man. And I know this is where God had me preach from today. I don't know which story you can identify with all of them, but the point I want you to make is if you're in this boat, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, what's true? I'm somebody. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care where you live, what you drive, where you work, where you don't work, where you, how much money you have or don't have, what you wear, what you don't. I don't care about any of those things, and neither does God. If you need them, he cares enough to provide them. But if you don't, you do the best you can with what you got where you're at, knowing the master of the lampstand puts you exactly where you need to be in the boat. What's important is you're in the right boat. <clears throat> Let's bow for prayer. First thing I'd ask, man, nobody's looking around, I promise. And if you are, I'm going to call you out. All right. <laughs> the band's coming up. I know. Don't, yeah, don't stumble and stuff. But listen, man, how many of you would say you're not sure what boat you're in? You're not sure you're in God's boat. Man, I'm going to tell you, according to scripture, I'm just going to give you John 3.16. When Jesus came and Nicodemus came to speak to him and he said, man, I know you're from God. Because nobody could do the things you're doing without God, but what you're teaching is way different, man. How are you doing all this? What's happening? Something's different. And Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born from above. You, he said, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, how do I crawl back in my mom? How do I do this? He said, No, no, no. You got to be born from above. What, what is spiritual? Spiritual. What's flesh is flesh. If you want to understand spiritual, you have to be born spiritually. And he ends that whole passage by saying this. He says, God so loved the entire world that he gave for free his only begotten son. That whoever believes, that means putting your entire faith and trust in him. If you believe, not with your head, but with your heart and your actions, show that. The life change, there's a difference. If you believe, you put your faith in him. He said, you will never perish. You'll never spoil You'll be imperishable, and you will have eternal life, and eternal eternal lasts forever. That's all I got for you, man. If that makes sense to you, your job is to believe, to say, I'm surrendering everything I know about me to everything I know about you. And you do that, God says you have eternal life, and you're in that boat. And since you're in that boat forever, no one can kick you out. You can't fall out. You don't need to be rescued and put back in that boat. But there's a lot of stuff going on in that boat. And that's where you got to figure out what phase you're in. How many of you say right now, man, God is speaking in my life, and I am in that Abraham to David phase? Praise God. I'm hearing from God. God is speaking. My life. Man, it's like he's showing me new things all the time. And I'm, I'm I have an exciting relationship with the Lord right now. Can I see your hand if that's you? Amen, that's good. And I'm glad everybody didn't raise their hand in that because somebody would be lying. We're not all in that all the time. But I'm glad you're in there and I'm gonna be praying for you that you're in that and, that and that you'll stay in that. How many did you say that the Holy Spirit's revealed to you today that you're in that second phase, maybe from David to captivity, and, and you keep coming back, but you're in that phase where you find yourself telling God more and more, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay? Cool. Thank you for being honest in that. I'm just going to tell you on authority of Scripture, you ain't got it, and neither do I. Get home. Get back. It's so worth it. There's no investment you can make into the kingdom that's not going to come back a hundredfold. If not here, it will in heaven. How many of you would say that I'm in that phase from really from Babylon till Christ, where I'm just at a phase where I'm not hearing. Maybe I don't have as great a desire. I'm just not there. I'm not hearing anybody. Would you admit to that? I'm not going to call you out. I promise. Dude, you know the answer. That phase starts with Babylon, but it goes to Christ. That's where you got to go. You go to Christ. And then you're back at the phase from Abraham to Babylon, or Abraham to David. Just get back to Christ. Make them your priority. What a great time to do it at Christmas. That'd be the best Christmas present you could ever give to yourself, you could ever give to anyone, especially the ones that love you. I can't make you do it, only you can do it. Father, I pray that you would take this message that you've so put on my heart, and you would first let it affect me, and show me where I'm really at, Continually encourage me to keep coming back to that Abraham to David scenario and not get discouraged and hunkering down in any of those others. But Father, I pray that you would meet each of us where we're at and you would bring the conviction you need to bring conviction to and you would bring comfort to those who need comfort in the areas where they need comfort, Father. Father, just speak to us and make yourself real. And we love you. And Father, we desire to help people see life from your perspective. But we can't do that unless we're seeing it that way. So help us see it that way. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.